Psalm 22, verse 1, to the choir master according to the doe of the dawn. A Psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? And this psalm speaks prophetically of Jesus dying on the cross, the single most important moment in human history when God, who took on flesh and dwelled among us, paid the penalty for this rebellious and wicked world. We know the Romans used crucifixion as a means of capital punishment, but actually the psalm was written about a thousand years prior to the Roman cross, and crucifixion hadn't even been invented in the time of this psalm. So as David is writing out of his circumstances, God is speaking through him, writing what is ultimately going to become the most critical incident in the world. The psalm starts out with a cry echoed by Jesus on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In Matthew twenty-seven forty-six, it says, And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So his cry from the cross is the very words of Psalm 22's introduction. And Jesus knew the answer to the question, but when I read this, I can't help but wonder if the cry was not a question from him to the Father, rather from him to us, asking us, why did this have to happen? Why was this necessary? And the short answer is found in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he, the Father, made him, the Son, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So the answer to Jesus' cry is that God forsook him so that we could be reconciled to God. It was a sacrifice to pay the debt of all mankind's sin once and for all. And when he cried out, my God, my God, it reminds me of many times in Jesus' ministry when he spoke this way, repeating his words, Luke ten forty one. but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, Luke twenty two thirty one. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. Matthew twenty three thirty seven. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. And in John's gospel, there are over 20 times when Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you. It's just another reminder to me that Jesus' print is on this psalm. To those surrounding the cross at the time of the crucifixion, I wonder if any of them recognized this cry as the opening of Psalm 22. So if they did, and they began reciting the psalm, they would suddenly realize, oh my gosh, this is speaking of this moment. David was prophetically writing about this time right now. That's scary. And one thing I've discovered as a believer, when I get serious about studying the scriptures and spending time in prayer and seeking to obey the Holy Spirit, I'm reminded just how scary God can be. And, you know, keeping him at arm's length often conceals this side of God. We want to make him our, you know, comfortable God, our nice God, our loving, kind, all that, which God is. But really seeking him sometimes reveals things that simply make me sit down and go, oh, wow, God is all over this. And depending on what God is all over at that moment, it can be frightening. Like when I'm praying for an answer to a prayer and I open my Bible, I begin to read only to discover a verse that perfectly answers my question. And it's really cool. It's like, whoa. That's awesome, but it's a reminder that God's all over my life. He is in control of everything. He knows everything about me, even the bad stuff, and that's scary. And how much more scary will it be for those who reject him in the day of judgment when everything they've ever done, written in the books, is opened and set before them? Verse 2, Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night I find no rest. Verse 3, Yet you are wholly enthroned on the praises of Israel. And this was a moment in time where God 
had forsaken the Son, and the Son had became sin for us. The Father is holy without sin, so there can be no fellowship with sin. And if he made the Son sin, he could have no fellowship with him for the moment. And there was a forsaking that occurred. That sin must be paid for, and the payment was being made, requiring the Father to forsake his Son. Verse 4, In you our fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. The God of Israel was with the Israelites throughout their history. When they trusted in their God, he delivered them from bondage. He delivered them from their enemies, from drought, from disease, etc. God is a great deliverer to those who put their trust in him. Proverbs 3, 5, a verse that I often quote because it's such a good, practical, easy verse to memorize. But it's so profound. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Trust God. He takes care of us. You don't lean on your own understanding. That doesn't mean that you don't have understanding. It means that you put your trust in God. God, you've got this. I'm following you. Verse 6, But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. Like Psalm 22, Isaiah 53 is a messianic passage referring to the future Messiah or Christ. And listen to what Isaiah says about the Messiah in verse 3 through 5. He says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried out our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Man, that's a pretty vivid picture of the crucifixion. Verse 7, all who mock me, they make mouths at me, they wag their heads. John 19 verse 2, And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. And they came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands, totally mocking him. Not only did he get the brunt of the Jewish leader's hate, he also got the brunt of the Roman soldier's mockery. Verse 8, He trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. In Luke twenty three thirty five through 37 And the people stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Verse 9 Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. Verse 10 On you I was cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Verse 11 Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Now, Jesus was accompanied by others who were grieving at the cross. He had his mom, he had some of his disciples, he had a lot of people there. They were grieving. They were there with him. But what a lonely place to die on a Roman cross where death lingered for hours and sometimes even longer. Verse 12, many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. Verse 13, they open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. Now, Bashan in the scriptures was a place known for its fertile pasture land. It was an ideal setting to raise prime livestock. 
in Ezekiel 39, which Ezekiel 38 and 39 talk about this future conflict that's coming. It says in 39 verse 18, you shall eat the flesh of the mighty and drink the blood of the princes of the earth, of rams, of lambs, of he goats, of bulls, all of them fat beasts of Bashan. Now symbolically talking about how they're going to conquer their enemies, but it's interesting they call them the fat beasts of Bashan because they were known for being healthy. They were known for being strong. They're well fed in a fertile area. The prophet Amos refers to the women of Israel who were reckless and immoral in chapter 4. In verse 1, it says, Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountain of Samaria. You oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, Bring that we may drink. So that reference to Bashan, the cows of Bashan, these healthy, well-fed animals that, that if they were human would be very arrogant and proud of themselves. That's a reference that God uses for these women in Samaria at that time. But the point is that Bashan was a place that raised healthy livestock. There's strong people around them, strong bulls of Bashan. And you can just sense that as these People were sitting there mocking him. Even as he was hanging on the cross, they're mocking him. Soldiers and the Jewish leaders get that sense that here they are in their arrogance, in their prosperity, in their status. Kick him when he's down, that kind of thing. Verse 14, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. Verse 15, my strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. So think about dying on a cross. After you have been scourged by a Roman soldier, which meant you were lucky to be standing up, let alone alive, as your back is laid open and your muscle tissue is mutilated. Then you get punched in the face a few times by the soldiers. Your beard is ripped from your face. And if that isn't enough, they shove a makeshift crown made with vines that had thorns on them down on your head. And they leave it there. And after that, you're required to march to the place where you're going to die carrying a cross or a portion of it that you will soon be nailed to. Then hour after hour, just hanging by the nails in your wrists and the nail in your feet. Man, can we even think about that? Can we even compare that to anything? Pour it out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up. Perfect picture. Verse 16. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. Now, David was the author of this, and I don't remember reading anything about him having his hands and feet pierced. So obviously, this is something different than what David has experienced, but it's a perfect picture of crucifixion. And Jesus uses the word dogs to describe those outside of the family of God, basically. Like in Matthew chapter 7, verse 6, do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. And in Matthew fifteen twenty six, he answered, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And here he's referring to Gentiles. And Paul refers to false teachers as dogs. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 2, it says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. That's a whole other study. And John uses the term dogs in the book of Revelation to identify those who are eternally separated from God. He says in Revelation twenty-two fifteen, outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. These are those who are not found in the book of life. Now, what's interesting about this is you can kind of sum this up and say those who are unrepentant of their sins. 
because there's going to be murderers in heaven, idolaters, liars, everything. They're just people who have repented and turned from their sin and received forgiveness and salvation. So the dogs surrounding Jesus at the crucifixion were basically those who rejected him, the Jewish leaders, the Roman soldiers, the thieves on the cross, although one of them ultimately came around. But think about the horror of going through the crucifixion, being crucified. Everyone's around you. And then there's people that are mocking you, your enemies, and they just let them mock you. Talk about rubbing salt in the wounds is bad enough that everything that they go through and then allowing those to come and mock him as he's dying on that cross. Man. Verse 17, I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots or they gamble, basically. In John 19, verse 23, it says, When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from the top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let's not tear it, but let's cast lots to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. That's Psalm twenty-two, eighteen. So the soldiers did these things. Verse 19, But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him. He has heard when he has cried to him, From you comes my praise in the congregation, my vows I will perform before those who fear him. It's verse 19 through 25. Children of God know that God is the deliverer. Many people have not been delivered from a heinous death. Read Fox's Book of Martyrs, crazy book. And what's amazing is how many people glorify God as they died. That's the Holy Spirit working in us. That's pretty cool to be able to go to your death serving the Lord, doing what's right, and under whatever circumstances you're being persecuted to be able to say, praise the Lord. You who fear the Lord, praise him. That's powerful. Romans 8.31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Amen. He's there. He's there through all of our trials. He's there through everything, even through the illness that might take our lives, even through a car crash that kills us, even through a child who's going through something crazy and you're watching your own kid. All of those things that cause us this type of grief, we know it's not the end. We know there's hope beyond this life. And that allows us to go through this painful, wretched life with peace. Verse 26, the afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. Verse 27, and all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. Verse 28, for kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. Verse 29, all the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow down all who go to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Prosperity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. Verse 31. So we praise God because he continues his work. And ultimately his work is going to wrap up this world and set a new heaven and a new earth in place. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven 
and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away, and he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. That is the hope that Psalm 22, depicting that crucifixion of Jesus, that event gives us this hope. The resurrection of Jesus, the reality of God dwelling among us, the rebirth that we are offered, salvation that is a free gift to those who simply believe, all of that goes back to the cross. Thank you.